0: Well, good morning, everyone. Praise the Lord for central air conditioning. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if you would, take your Bibles. You can open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper this morning. And after the service, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. As you can see up front, the elements on the table. And we'll get to that after our last hymn this morning. But we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 26 talking about the origin and meaning of the Lord's Supper. What is a memorial? You don't have to answer that out loud. that's a rhetorical question for you to be thinking. But <laughs> what is a memorial? And a memorial is really just simply a way to remember, something that causes you to remember, that helps you to remember. Uh, last Monday, we celebrated Memorial Day, didn't we? Uh, where we what? We remember those that gave their lives for our country, uh, that sacrificed uh, sometimes... Uh, their very lives Uh, that's a memorial it helps us remember and uh, I'm going to spend a few moments telling you about uh, how do I say this something I'm going to remember for a while that happened to me about two weeks ago (laughs) the Lord gave me a memorial And I'm sure some are curious as to the story of what happened to the Kern family vacation. (laughs) It's something we will not forget. (laughs) We will not forget. Um, And as you may have heard, we were traveling to uh, the Gulf Shores area of Alabama. And we were uh, just north of Nashville, Tennessee, when the van said, I think I've gone as far as I want to (laughs) go. And uh, we believe... That once again the flywheel or flex plate broke. This is the second time it's happened on this vehicle in two years. It left us stranded in Maryland back in 2019. Uh, we haven't forgotten that yet, <laughs> and now we remember this. And you know we were able to push on. We 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 did do our trip. We got down there in a couple of minivans we were able to rent we would not lie the process was painful and stressful and <laughs> disappointing uh, to say the least as we were stranded alongside uh, the roadway we were able to get off the interstate onto an off-ramp posting, and just made it off the interstate um, but then we proceeded to spend about two hours making phone calls uh, to figure out what to do next, where to go next, who can help, what are we going to do with the van, calling local mechanics uh, we ended up having the van towed uh, to a local transmission shop. But it was clear, talking to all the mechanics in the area, that nothing was going to happen for about two weeks to this van. I called about eight different places. Nobody had openings. So it was, well, pick, pick one and have it towed there and let's see what happens. Uh, but the biggest issue for us as a family of nine is how do you get to the interstate to a hotel <laughs> with luggage and things you need? And the last time this happened to us in in Maryland, uh, the mechanic really helped us out. There was a mobile mechanic. He showed up. Uh, he helped kind of fit things together. And he 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 was called. He was getting Uber rides. So he, his girlfriend, and an Uber driver took us to a local area that was in Maryland. Well, this time it was working out differently. And and something that had popped in my mind the last time it happened was you should probably call the local police department, just let them know what's happening. If nothing else, they can come and park behind you just so people aren't speeding at you know, 80 miles an hour right next to you on the side of the road. And so I, we, I did, <clears throat> I was talking to mechanics and things, and so I had my wife, why don't you just call, look up the local police department, just call them, tell them what's going on. She did, they sent a squad car out, the guy got, gets in a feel for the situation and what we need to do. So he calls two more squad cars, And I watched every member of my family drive away in the back of a police car. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah's only two years old, but I've seen her go away in a police car. I'm the only one, so I'm the angel of the family. (laughs) Who else can say that? You watched every member of your family drive away in the back of a police car. Three officers came in their squad cars. Even let us throw some of our luggage in the back seat, like a cooler and things, and and went to a local hotel. Uh, Anyway, we got things worked out. The very next morning, I had an Uber ride scheduled to take me to a local rental place. I picked up a van, drove back to the hotel, picked up Sarah, five of the kids, drove back to the rental place, picked up the second van, drove back to the hotel, got the rest of them, drove to where the van was, moved all the luggage over, and about 10 a.m. that Friday morning, we were back on our way to Alabama. I'll never forget, probably. (laughs) It's a memorial. Talk about making memories. Um, but that's what happened and the Lord's good we got a good trip in even caught a few fish in the surf we didn't keep or clean anything but we were able to do a lot of fun things and check out some historical sites and spend time on the beach and enjoy that time the dust is still settling as the van still sits in the Nashville, Tennessee area and waiting to confirm whether it's only the flex plate or flywheel whichever you prefer and uh, what is causing that, because that just doesn't happen. Something is wrong with crankshaft or transmission alignment. Anyway, we'll see where it goes. So today we drove two vehicles to church, (laughs) my in-law's van and my uh, old uh, Jeep Cherokee. Anyway, we're here. Praise the Lord. Lord. And I'm thankful for air conditioning (laughs) once again. All right, but that's a memorial. We're never going to forget that. We're going to remember that. And at some point, we'll look back and, and laugh. We kind of can now. It's a little sore yet, <laughs> as the test is still settling on how this is all going to pan out. Um, but it's but, and, and, and people have come alongside and, and, and helped in various ways. So it's been good. But it's something we'll never forget. We'll always look back. We'll remember that. And I trust that we'll look back and, and see, look how God worked to still make this happen. Uh, It wasn't the way we would have chose, but yet we were able to move forward. So that will always be a memorial for the Kern family. But as we come to our text this morning, we're talking about a memorial. A memorial that the Lord gives us, the body of Christ, to celebrate even today. We're going to do it this very day. To always look back and remember afresh what Christ has done for each one of us. This is the purpose of the Lord's Supper, to stand as a perpetual memorial for us, to call our hearts and minds back to the Lord until he comes. So we're going to look at this passage this morning. Let's read it together, beginning with verse 23, where Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. What we're going to start by saying is just the simple truth of the matter, and this is on your outline. Uh, The Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ, received by Paul, and given to us, us being the church today. Uh, We kind of have to state it simply because this is actually something that some people debate and challenge and, and, and wrestle with. That is the Lord's Supper still for us today under the grace. And we say hardly amen it is. It's right here in this passage, pretty clear. So again, who instituted the Lord's Supper? Well, it's clear from this passage, it's clear what we read in the scripture reading, and it's clear in in a passage we're going to go to in just a minute. Christ instituted the Lord's Supper after the Passover meal on the night of his betrayal. It says right here in our passage, um, it talks about how he took the cup after supper, the supper being the Passover meal that the Jewish people kept. I'd like you to turn right away to Matthew chapter 26, we're going to read another passage on this. We read Luke in our scripture reading, so you have that in mind as a cross reference, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter 26 for a moment, and we're going to read the account here in the book of Matthew, (coughs) Excuse me, and we're going to look beginning with verse 20. And I'm going to read a few verses here so we get more of the context of what was happening on the origin of the Lord's Supper. What was happening that very night? And we're talking this was just hours before they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? So we're going to get a review of some of those things as we study this passage in Corinthians. Matthew 26, beginning with verse 20. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And by the way, they're eating the Passover meal, as you can see back in verse 19. This is, the, this is the Passover meal. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit or of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now here we see some of the things that were going on in that night. Jesus is eating the Passover meal that was customary for the Jewish people. That was an ordinance for them. We'll talk about ordinances a little bit later. It was an ordinance. They were supposed to do it. Um, and it was for Jewish people only. It was for the circumcised people to keep the Passover. So the Lord was doing that. He knew this was the eve of his death. He knew that he is the ultimate Passover lamb. It's all by God's timing that Jesus is going to be crucified while we're still on the Passover day. And um, we see here that it also came up. That's when it was began to be, uh, well, Judas was beginning to be identified. The disciples didn't fully know what was going on until later, but Jesus knew, and Jesus was singling out Judas there, and Judas, it is clear in the text, was, was singled out there, even though the other disciples didn't recognize it. I'm going to tell you that John 1330 says, having received the piece of bread, he, Judas, then went out immediately, and it was night. And I bring that up, to insert that in this passage that once Judas had been identified by the Lord he left he left the meal and after Judas was gone then the Lord instituted what we know as the Lord's Supper and we make that point because as we'll see going on the Lord's Supper is for those who partake in the body and blood of Christ those that truly have trusted Christ Judas had not and he was out of there before it came into being He was dismissed after the Passover, but before the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. So just keep that in mind. That's one of the things that signals to us that the Lord's Supper is only for believers. And that comes out very clear in our text as well. So we see here the origin. It came about as the Lord was about to die on the cross. And he makes these proclamations with the bread and the cup. And gives them meaning to his disciples. And it's going to come over to us in the body of Christ. These symbolic things that, that, are, that are meaningful, but meant to cause us to remember. <clears throat> now, one of the things that we're going to talk about just for a moment with the Lord's Supper, we see it, every place you read about the Lord's Supper, you see it. It's a connection to the new covenant. This is the cup of the new covenant, right? Paul says it, 1 Corinthians 11, and obviously Jesus said it when he instituted it. And we want to just kind of clear this issue up right away on its connection with the new covenant because some struggle with how do we today as members of the body of Christ we're under grace, we're not under the laws and ordinances of of Israel we're under grace we weren't under the old covenant and we weren't, you know, the old covenant wasn't made with us so why do we come under the new covenant as Gentile believers and wrestling with some of those things so I wanted to spend a little bit of time looking at a passage and talking about a couple other passages to try to help us see what the connection is. How does the body of Christ connect to the new covenant which is connected to the Lord's Supper? So I want you to turn one more passage here right away in Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm going to have you go hunt that book down right after Isaiah right before Lamentations book of Jeremiah, and we want to look at verse or chapter 31, beginning with verse 31. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you that this is a key passage in the Bible about what we call the New Covenant. This is a key passage. Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 31. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Now It's clear in that passage that these promises are to a certain group of people, right? The nation of Israel. And it's actually part of the great remedy that God had for that people. He called that people out of Egypt. He made them his special nation according to promises he made to Abraham. They were God's covenant people. And he put them under what we call the Mosaic covenant or the old covenant or the law that they were to live under those precepts and principles and under the sacrificial system and under the priesthood and using the tabernacle and later the temple and all these things that you read about in the Old Testament. And he says, they broke that. Why? Because what, what happened? They did what everybody does. They failed in unbelief and sin. And that's the Old Testament. It's a history of Israel's promises and their failures. Couldn't live up to their end of the bargain, so to speak. Why? Because it's sin in them. <laughs> Sin's the problem. And they never could be God's people with sin unresolved. And so God says, I got a new plan, a new covenant that I'm going to make with you. And what's it talk about here? I'm going to write my law on tablets? No, on your heart. Now, we're going internal. We're going right to the heart. I'm going to forgive your sin. You're going to be my people. And if you read the whole context, it talks about them coming back to the promised land and they're going to be this great and glorious nation of priests one day. That's the idea of the new covenant for Israel. And you have to say, well, how was that ever going to be possible? It was going to take a sacrifice to get rid of all that sin. And that's Jesus Christ. That's why in the gospels, Jesus Christ says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is what it costs to take care of sin, my body and my blood. And Jesus came to shed it for them and for us. So the new covenant was made to Israel and was promises and had both spiritual and physical components. But if, and if we read in other passages like Ezekiel, we can, we can see forgiveness of sins and, this, and the Holy Spirit being put within the person's heart. These were ideas connected to the new covenant. And Israel is going to experience, it, experience that one day on a national basis. When Jesus reigns in Jerusalem and he's over the world, Israel will be filled with his spirit and they will go out and they will minister to the nations as his ambassadors in this world. But that is not what God is doing today. Israel as a nation was set aside. We read about that in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Pastor Walgast just took us through those three chapters over the last few months. God set Israel aside because of their unbelief and he opened up a whole secret program centered around the grace of God. And he sent Paul out with a new message and that all people now can be God's people if they come through the cross of Christ to the Father. So we are the body of Christ. We're not the nation of Israel. We're not under law. We're under grace. We have received manifold spiritual blessings, And some of those spiritual blessings that we have received were actually promised to Israel in the first place. If you're a believer today, where does the Holy Spirit dwell? In you. Which that was something that Israel was looking forward to, but never received. You get it instead. Didn't God say, I'm going to forgive your sins? Well, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, in Christ your sins are forgiven, aren't they? Forever. That's a spiritual blessing. That's a big one. (laughs) That's in Christ. You have that. Paul writes in Romans fifteen twenty seven. It pleased them indeed, talking about, um, uh, I believe, the Jews there. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. What he's saying there is the Gentiles should be willing to take care of Jews in need because ultimately the Gentiles have received some of the things, spiritual blessings, that were promised to the Jews. Paul says if we have some of their spiritual things, let's be willing to share some of our material things. First, Romans 15, 27. We partake of some of their spiritual things. So you begin to see how we have some of the blessings of the new covenant. We are spiritually connected to the new covenant. And maybe we'd say the biggest thing here, there's only one body and blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. It don't matter what dispensation or program you're part of. There's only one body and one blood that can ultimately save and bring forgiveness of sins, and that is the body and blood of Christ Jesus himself. And that is the common denominator for all of God's people. That was what was going to save Israel, and it's certainly what saves us today in the body of Christ. There is the commonality. Because we are all in Christ. That's the only place you find salvation ultimately. All peoples of all times who have trusted the Lord in their respective time and place. They are saved ultimately by the body and blood of Christ. And so there's the, the body and blood of the new covenant is the only body and blood that brings salvation. And that also shows how we're connected to the new covenant. So we have to understand these things. We have to be discerning Um, We do share commonality With what was promised to Israel But we're not Israel We just got some of their things Apart from them And apart from their program We got the spiritual benefits The indwelling spirit forgiveness, Forgiveness of sins Being two of them So that is why we are Spiritually connected to the new covenant And why we have no problem Partaking of the Lord's Supper Understanding that connection because if you're in Christ, you have those blessings. So there's a lot in the Lord's Supper, but hopefully that gives you some understanding of to the origin and some of the connections. And we're going to continue to explore it, obviously, <clears throat> because ultimately it's a memorial of everything that Christ did for us, and all the in and in a, in a in a you could say also a reminder of all the blessings we have in Him. So the Lord's Supper looks back to what Christ did in manifold gratitude, giving his body and blood for us. Today in the Word once gave this following story. Three times a month, Jermaine Washington and Michelle Stevens get together for what they call a gratitude lunch. With good reason. Washington donated a kidney to Stevens whom he described as just a friend. They met at work where they used to have lunch together. One day, Michelle wept as she spoke about waiting on a kidney donor list for 11 months. She was being sustained by kidney dialysis, but suffered chronic fatigue and blackouts and was plagued by joint pain. Because Washington couldn't stand the thought of watching his friend die, he gave her one of his kidneys. When you've got something great to be thankful for, having a gratitude lunch is a great way to celebrate. Appreciate that story. Appreciate how they, what they used as a memorial. They got together for lunch and, and, and that always reminded her where that kidney came from. She's not going to forget. Well, the Lord's Supper in a, lot, in a big way is kind of a gratitude lunch that we share with Christ. It's us looking back with thankful hearts. Celebrating what he did for us. If we go look back to 1 Corinthians 11... We've talked about the origin as it pertains to when Christ first instituted the Lord's Supper in the gospel records and some of the connections, like with the new covenant. But again, we need to be clear that it is for the body of Christ today, and 1 Corinthians 11 bears that out. First of all, in verse 23, Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered for you. So notice Paul says, I got this from Jesus Christ. Now, understanding Paul and his apostleship and how the Lord communicated with him often, Jesus Christ gave him revelations. It began on the road to Damascus when he received his mission statement. You're going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to turn them from darkness to light. You're going to go out. You're going to speak to Gentiles and Jews and kings of men. You're going to be a witness of the grace of God. Paul got his mission. And then at other times, the Lord spoke to him and taught him other things. And so when I read, I received this from the Lord, when Paul says that, I take it to mean the Lord gave it to him directly, that he didn't hear it from Peter and say, the Lord gave it to me through Peter. No, the Lord gave it to me directly. And that's significant because the things that God gave Paul directly are the things that he wanted the body of Christ to know for today in this age of grace. So the fact that Paul received it directly from the Lord ought to be a huge indicator Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 for a minute and and look at how Paul uses this language on some other key truths of Scripture and of the message of grace for today. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. You know this passage probably, right? This is where we a lot of times go to show what is the gospel that you have to believe to be saved today. It's very clear. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you also are saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Let's just pause a minute. Paul says, I'm going to tell you the gospel, the good news. You need to believe to be saved. He says, I delivered it to you, and you need to stand in it. And we could say, well, where did he get this message he's about to communicate? Well, look what he says in verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He says he received this, the the emphasis on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for salvation. Paul says, I received it, and he says it's my gospel. And you could look at other passages like in Galatians chapter 2, and you can realize You'll find out Paul was given his gospel directly from Jesus Christ. And he actually, at one point, had to go up to Jerusalem and tell Peter and James and John the gospel which he preached among the Gentiles. He had to communicate that. So you have to ask the question Paul received it from who? From the risen Lord. That's where the gospel comes from. Paul received it, took it to the people he ministered to. So there's kind of like a formula there Paul gets it from the Lord, brings it to the church. The Lord's Supper, Paul gets it from the Lord, brings it to the church. Okay, so there's a huge reason that we conclude the Lord's Supper is for today. Let me just take you down one other little rabbit trail for a moment. Because often in the church, we we connect the Lord's Supper to what other institution? Water baptism. Water baptism. That's a lot of times, those are two ordinances for the church. Some churches say they're sacraments. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians chapter 1, if you look back here, <clears throat> we'll make our own connection. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 14. We see in this very epistle, Paul says, Some things I received from the Lord, and I'm to give them to you. Is water baptism something Paul receives of the Lord to give to the church today? Well, look what he says about it in the same book. In the same book that he's emphasizing the Lord's Supper. That he's emphasizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that he received from the Lord. Look what he de-emphasizes in the very same epistle. Chapter 1, 14 through 17. I thank God that I baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Now, verse 17 is key. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of made of no effect. So notice, again, Paul says, I received the Lord's Supper for you. I received the gospel of salvation for you. I didn't receive baptism. The Lord sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. See, that's interesting. What we understand is, as as Paul wrote this epistle, it was during a transition period, as God was ceasing his work through Israel and, and working through the body of Christ, there was a transition. It's what the book of Acts covers. And Paul did baptize for a while, I believe, as a sign to the Jews. But over time... He stepped back and said, you know what, this isn't isn't part of my mission. And at some point you need to stop doing this, move away from it. But the Lord's Supper remains. That's why this church, why we we say we don't believe what our baptism is for today. We emphasize the spiritual baptism we have in Christ. But we still practice the Lord's Supper because it's still for today. Turn back to our passage and just look at verse 26 which is the exclamation point on why we will continue to do it. Because Paul said in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. How long? Till he comes. Has he came yet? No. So let's continue to proclaim his death through the Lord's Supper until he does come. Okay? Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Gene Gregory writes the following. A man was working in his backyard one day when his neighbor began talking to him over the fence. He said, "Yeah, my wife and I went to one of those seminars yesterday. You know, where they teach you ways to improve your memory and such?" Thank you. His neighbor commented, "Really? Well, what was the name of the speaker?" And the man answered, "Ah, ah, What's the name of that flower that smells so good and has thorns? Uh, you mean a rose? Yeah, that's it. And then he called over his shoulder, Rose, what's the name of that speaker we heard yesterday? <laughs> the point being, we humans have a hard time remembering things. And Gene and Gregory writes, My memory has gotten so bad, I figure that within a few years, I'll be able to hide my own Easter eggs. <laughs> Some of you might be able to relate to that. I don't know. (laughs) We all can to some degree. But again, the Lord's Supper is meant to honor, celebrate, and keep fresh in our minds what Christ has done for us. Because that's what it is. The Lord's Supper is a memorial to Christ's death for us. Once again, let's read 24 and 25 of our passage And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's why we say it's a memorial, because he said it's about remembering. This is not a rule, a regulation, a precept, a decree. It doesn't give you any super blessings or anything. It's simply remembrance. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the memorial aspect of the Lord's Supper, that's what we're focusing on here next. And I'm going to be clear, this is on the outline. Oh, and if I skip the last outline, it was Paul received this practice as part of his message for the body of Christ. And you may have been able to figure that out if I didn't say it explicitly. But here... This next point A is the Lord's Supper is not an ordinance or a sacrament. We've said that already but that has to be concrete in our thinking because it is everywhere you look it's thought of in these terms. And you could say well where is that here? You know Paul even says as often as you do this it doesn't even tell you when you should do it or how often you should do it. Everybody that has a preference on that it's, it's their own opinion it doesn't say anywhere in scripture how often do you need to do this <clears throat> it just says as often as you do even that is under the umbrella of grace it's not an ordinance or sacrament again some call water baptism and the Lord's supper ordinances for the church today ordinances are decrees rules or laws to follow and, and, and that's even in the Greek <clears throat> as well Now, Colossians 2.14 says having wiped out the handwriting of requirements or ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. Colossians 2.14 tells us Jesus Christ has nailed all ordinances all regulations, all requirements to his cross. Anything that would be used against us between us and God, he nailed it all to the cross. He nailed it all to the cross. And in that passage of Colossians 2, 14, the word um, for ordinance there is the Greek word dogma. You've heard dogma before, right? You know, It's that Greek word, and it means a decree or ordinance. So if Jesus tells us that he nailed ordinances to the cross so we can be accepted by the Father in him alone then perhaps we ought not to call this memorial that the Lord gave us an ordinance, lest we contradict the scripture. (laughs) It can't be an ordinance. Ours is nailed to the cross. See, it's never an ordinance. It's never taught as an ordinance. It's simply a memorial. It's not a rule for us to follow, to be accepted by God. It's not any of that. And it's also not a sacrament. Matter of fact, you don't even find the word sacrament in the Bible. It's a word some use to describe the Lord's Supper and water baptism, and even some faiths faiths or denominations use it to describe more than that. And and in their thinking, a sacrament is something that's sacred, and it's it's a way God uses to consecrate his people to him, that He, he somehow makes them more holy or imparts grace to them through those activities. And when you come to that thinking, what you're diminishing is what Jesus did on the cross. That's where God imparted everything you need in Christ. The moment you believe, you get all spiritual blessings in him. None of that comes through any kind of ordinance or practice or activity. So the idea of sacraments, it's not in scripture and it just doesn't fit. And it actually, we feel, can harm people's understanding of what Christ has done for them. God bestows grace on you right now, and that he's given you opportunity to trust him right now. He's already imparted grace to you. What he wants to impart to people is Jesus Christ himself, but that's only through faith. Salvation only comes through trusting that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. When a person puts their faith in that, they are saved, and they have all they need in Jesus Christ. but they get to participate in the Lord's Supper as a bonus, as a memorial. Now, some people call it uh, the Eucharist. You've probably heard the term Eucharist before, but that's just derived from the Greek word that means to give thanks. It's actually repeated in verse 24 when Jesus said, um, or no, when, when he had given thanks, he broke it. That word for given thanks in the Greek is Eucharisto, and That's where we get the word Eucharist. It's simply a meaning of giving thanks. We often call it communion because it's a picture of our oneness and communion with the risen Lord. And because we do it together, it's a picture of our communion as one body together. So that's where we feel communion is actually a good name. But Paul here calls it the Lord's Supper. Verse 20 when he had to chastise them, that when you come together in one place, is it, not, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So, this is what they were calling it and what Paul calls it, the Lord's Supper. So, if we're going to be picky, that's probably the most biblical term to assign it, but I think communion's just fine. But again, the key word in that passage is remembrance. You know, today, what's today the anniversary of? Somebody shouted out, D-Day. D-Day. June 6th, 1944. <clears throat> in, Virgi- in Bedford, Virginia, there is the National D Day Memorial, and it permanently commemorates the day when Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy, France, as part of Operation Overlord. You've seen it, you've read about it, you've probably seen movie depictions. So those guys trying to get off those boats in shallow water and march up the beach under machine gun fire. And there were guys paratrooping behind enemy lines and, and to, they had to break into Europe somehow. <clears throat> and there in Bedford, Virginia, stands that memorial. And on that memorial it says, In tribute to the valor, fidelity, and sacrifice of Allied forces on D-Day, June 6, 1944. See, memorials are important, aren't they? Especially as you transmit truth from one generation to the next. You need, a lot of times, memorials to help. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are commemorating the valor, fidelity, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. And implicitly, his resurrection. Because let's face it, if he didn't raise from the dead too, we wouldn't be a whole lot to celebrate about it. He'd just be another dead guy. But he rose from the dead, erasing all doubt of who he was. And so we, as we do that memorial, it also fills us with hope of what tomorrow holds in him. The last point I want to make isn't necessarily explicitly in our text, but it certainly, I believe, uh, is borne out through the very nature of what the Lord's Supper is. It's eating and drinking something as a memorial to Jesus Christ, so what I want to talk about is the final point here the lord 's Supper is a tangible practice to commemorate christ 's death for us it's tangible it's actually something you can touch, you taste it, you even smell it. All five of your senses are involved in this memorial its it's, it's bread. And the cup and yes, the cup that Jesus used certainly had wine in it. We use grape juice. We understand it. Okay. <laughs> they go down that rabbit trail. <laughs> it's fine. You see, some hold that these elements become the literal body and blood of Christ. And They call that big fancy word transubstantiation. Who wants to spell that? No. Transubstantiation. That when that 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 bread or wafer or cracker and that juice or wine or whatever, that actually becomes the body and blood of Christ, which is like some kind of like a, you know, sounds like cannibalism, doesn't it? And they derive that because Jesus had said in John 6, you know, he told his disciples at a synagogue in Capernaum, uh, and he was doing it in a way that actually kind of uh, irritated some of the religious leaders, but he said, if you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's what he told him there. And what, the question is, what did he mean by that? That you literally, physically had to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Was he teaching cannibalism for salvation? No. He's talking spiritual. It's a spiritual, metaphorical language that he used often. Jesus said, I'm the door of the, of the sheepfold. Was he literally a door? Was he made out of wood? No. He said, I'm the only way to the Father. It's a symbol. Spiritually and symbolically, I'm the door. Spiritually and symbolically you have to partake of his body and blood to be saved there's no other salvation apart from his sacrifice on the cross that's the point the religious leaders of his day that stood against him they needed to believe in him too they would have to understand that he died for their sins and they were virtually teaching that they were sinless under the old covenant they had so many misunderstandings but that's where some of that confusion comes in from that passage in John But no, it's symbolic. It's spiritual realities he's talking about. And there's other teachings we could talk about, but for time's sake, we don't need to cover what everybody else thinks about it. But again, the Lord gives us this for our benefit. Uh, The Lord doesn't give it to us for his sake because he's never going to forget. And he knows what Christ did on the cross, and he's never going to forget that, is he? It's something for us, something tangible that we can smell, taste, touch, and hold, to make it even more of a rem- of a remembrance, to make it even easier to remember, and I think some people, even today, struggle because in this age of grace, we, we put the emphasis on the spiritual. We do have our spirit, our blessings, and spiritual our spiritual blessings in heavenly places, as Ephesians talks about. That's our emphasis. But Jesus Christ makes us the moment we save and everything we have in him. And God doesn't promise to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise in any of that. But it doesn't mean he ignores the physical. That he ignores your body. It, that's never true in scripture. Our creator and father knows we need remembrances or memorials for renewed focus and resolution. He leaves one in place for the body of Christ today. And this becomes a form of encouragement to us. It's meant to help us reflect uh, on the Lord in our times together. We understand that human beings are created with spirit, soul, and body. With five senses, as we've already mentioned. God speaks to our wholeness as his created beings. Now the emphasis is certainly on the spirit and the soul. But he doesn't ignore the body. In fact, he's going to resurrect it one day, isn't he? He's not done with it, even as it grows old and your memory goes and you can't remember your wife's name. No. <laughs> but you want to resurrect it and perfect it and glorify it one day. <clears throat> Why do we as humans desire such things as hugs and handshakes? Why do we smile at each other? It's because we need physical manifestations of what God is doing on the inside. Because God intends it so. We need tangible expressions of God's work within. It may take the form of giving to someone. It may take the form of verbally encouraging someone. It may be hugging someone or putting an arm around somebody. Would it be a good idea to tell your wife you love her every day, but you never hug her or, t- or kiss her or anything like that or get her flowers or anything? the Lord leaves us this one practice, a memorial to him, as a tangible expression of our faith in him and our oneness with him. And it involves the whole man, all five senses, which makes it all the more memorable. So it becomes something special, a time set apart, similar to why we do things like graduation ceremonies or wedding, weddings or even funerals. We, we know we need tangible expressions of things. We need outlets of what God does on the inside. And this is the one that the Lord has left us as we come together to church as often as we do it. It's something we experience together. It doesn't, it's not magic. It doesn't impart any extra blessings. It's just something you get to participate in under grace today. So that's, I believe, a lot of the reason the Lord gives it to us. And it's even more than this. We're going to talk more about what it means that it's a proclamation and what the communion around it means, but we're going to save that for the next message we do in this passage. I'll conclude with a quote from Tim Chester, and he writes, I find this is a really helpful way to think about what is taking place. When the plate or the bread is put in your hands, think quietly. Jesus himself is giving me this bread. He is the host of this meal. This is his gift. This is a sign of his love. This is his embrace. Using the hands of the person serving you, Christ passes the bread and wine to you because he wants to have communion with you and because he wants to reassure you of his love. He offers you an invitation to taste and see that he is good. And so I appreciate that way of looking at it, this remembrance that, again, r- refreshes our hearts and minds about what Christ has done for us. And so we'll be partaking of communion after our hymn shortly. And at that time, I'm not going to reread the passage. We've already covered it today. And uh, obviously what we always say, too, is, is it's up to you. The Bible We haven't got to the passage yet, but it says you examine yourself. We believe it's for believers. We don't send police who takes it. And we, for children, we look. it's up to the parents to, to discern where the child's heart is with the Lord. Um, we believe it's for believers, <clears throat> and so we'll be practicing that momentarily. But let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for our time together, for this beautiful weather we've been experiencing, our fellowship in you. Uh, Lord, we think of all the people uh, that are out and about uh, this time of year. We know we've got several in our church traveling. We pray for their well-being. Thank you for everyone being here safe this morning. Lord, we just pray that, that this meaningful uh, memorial just really does resonate in our hearts, Father. Uh, that it does always direct our attention back to you and what you've done for us. That tangible expression of what you've done for us, Lord, so rich and special to us, Father. So, Lord, help us to keep our minds focused on Christ today and the rest of this week as we serve you. We pray this in his name. Amen. We invite you as but we continue to prepare our hearts to commemorate this in that very t-